Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast, episode 81, the one about Kate Bush, pressing pause on content, Twitter Create, and the film Prometheus. Let's get on with the show. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. As always, we're here to keep you up to date with the latest news, tech, content, and wisdom from the world of marketing. And as always, my co-host is a man on a mission to demystify digital marketing. He is the host of the Content Marketing Studio video podcast. Please welcome all the way from France, <laughs> Monsieur Pascal Fintoni. Well, thank you so much. You've just heard from the man who's also on a mission to keep marketing simple, the voice of the marketing famous podcast and the author of Cats, Matt and Marketing Plans. I give you Monsieur Roger Edwards. Oh, thank you, Pascal. And here we are, episode 81. And oh. uh, incredible, isn't it? And uh, we've got such a packed show today. Once again, lots of news to go through, great content spotlights. But of course, we're going to tell you now very quickly what we're going to be talking about later in film marketing. And Pascal, it's your choice this week, isn't it? Indeed, the award-winning marketing campaign, yes, indeed, of Prometheus, the 2012 Ridley Scott masterpiece. Which, of course, was a sort of prequel or to was Alien, it? wasn't it? Hmm. Or was it? Or was it? Yeah. <laughs> That's something we can perhaps talk about later in the show. But before we get there, let's head into the other segments, and we'll start with In the News. And we begin with the news from David Buttress, co-founder of Just Eat, appointed by the UK government as the cost of living czar. And he's urging brands to refocus marketing spend in a bid to bring prices down for consumers. Instagram has officially launched its new option to pin up to three posts and reels on your profile. Instagram has been testing this option since April with more profile display customization promised in future. Well, a study of over 140,000 LinkedIn posts, Roger, by Social Insider and Cloud Campaign has found that LinkedIn posts with PDFs uploaded directly generate more than three times clicks than any other types of content. Women made up 45% of characters shown in advertising from Mars last year, up 11 percentage points since the business started auditing its gender representation in 2018. Snapchat is trialing a subscription service offering exclusive, experimental, and pre-release features called Snapchat Plus. They thought long and hard about this one. It gives users more options like pinning certain conversations and exclusive icons. Renault has reinvented its 1990s Papa Nicole <laughs> campaign to mark the launch of its Megane E-Tech electrical car. Launched on Father's Day, the new campaign aims to add a modern dimension to the Papa Nicole narrative with real stories exploring the issues faced by fathers and daughters in 2022. Okay, well, Little Moon's Moshi, the ice cream snack that went viral on TikTok, surprised London visitors with a pastel billboard featuring hands popping out of holes and handing out Little Moshi's ice cream, caps, T-shirts, and cinema tickets. And finally, the cost of living crisis helps Aldi bounce back into the brand Z Top 100, the ranking of the world's most valuable brands having been absent in 2020. Now, it's very interesting, this whole Aldi bouncing back in, because that obviously implies that because of the cost of living crisis, people are looking to move to cheaper brands. So that makes sense, doesn't it? Aldi becomes more popular than, say, a more expensive supermarket chain like um, Sainsbury's or Waitrose. But going back to the first item of news there, this David Buttress thing, 
now appointed as the cost of living czar. And I've got a big problem. Why do they call these people czars, for goodness sake? Mm. The czar was a the king of Russia at one point, wasn't he? Why use the term czar? Anyway, that's a, that's a tangent. He's urging brands to refocus marketing spend, i.e. cut marketing spend, in order to bring prices down. Now, oh, for goodness sake, um, why would – first of all, it shows a distinct lack of business acumen – and he's the co-founder of Just Eat, so you'd thought he would have known better. But you, you, the actual portion of the marketing budget as an overall percentage of the price that people get charged, it's, it, it, would, it would knock pennies off, wouldn't it, Pascal? So what a stupid suggestion. Or am I being dumb here? I mean, we're talking about Just Eat, the brand that's been polluting TV, billboards and radio for the last two years, making money from delivering junk food to people. Are we talking about, you know, a government who basically appoints people like Dominic Cummings who eventually find them? Are we talking about Tsars who've been starving the Russian population for generations? Are we talking about, you know, essentially somebody who even himself told the world that Boris Johnson was not fit for purpose? I don't have a strong view on this, uh, Roger, as you can tell. No, I, I obviously <laughs> inadvertently manoeuvred the soapbox directly in, t in front of your feet there, didn't I? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm not sure where, obviously, David Buttress has had the uh, you know opportunity to work. But when I think back in my career and that of my customers now, that marketing budget is so insignificant <laughs> By, by by you know all all good accounts that he must be talking about a handful of brands and maybe in fairness to his request he, he, maybe you know we need to look at the full version of his comments because you can't trust the media to give the full story but I did check you know on BBC and and all the other kind of uh, reliable media you could say Roger and that was that was only you know that kind of uh, snapshot of, of information I think with regard to prices going down is back to efficiencies, is back to negotiations, but of course to process and supply chain, and maybe lessons need to be learned from people like Aldi and many others. Absolutely. And again, I've always been an advocate. You know, when times are tough, it's actually sometimes a good idea to up your marketing spend, maybe educate people what sort of foods to buy rather than cutting the marketing. Now, I got really quite excited by this Renault's reinvention of the Papa Nicole series of adverts in the 1990s. Very famous series of adverts um, featuring Reeves and Mortimer back in the day, amongst others. And have you watched these? Um, and, and obviously, uh, the sort of French twin uh, tinge to this whole thing. What do you think of it? So I've not seen the very, very recent one. I remember the, the, the one from the 90s really, really well because actually I arrived in 91 in the UK. Mm -hmm. And guess what people used to call me in, in, in corridors or in the office? You know, they used to call, <laughs> Papa, Nicole, you know, uh, uh, and to, get, to get my reaction. And, and I think for me it was also the first advert that I saw where for a car, beyond essentially forgive me the uh, the, the item and the, the engine and the features and the bells and whistles it was around storytelling mm. and if you were not around in the 90s and um, because we do have a young audience roger and yeah. if you of course are buying a car first car now you won't know that the papa and nicole was essentially um the dad used to you know use the car to go on a date yeah his daughter would do the same, but with her kind of more modern or, or more trendier car. And by accident, they would end up in the same restaurant or the same venue and see each other, hands to Papa and Nicole. 
Yeah. Now, I have seen these updated adverts, and in fairness, the fact that they each feature a father and a daughter is about as as close as it gets. Right. You know, if you didn't know about Papa Nicole from the 1990s, you'd just think, oh, this is an advert for Renault that's got a father and daughter in it. There's no reference at all to that past campaign. So I did actually wonder whether it was even the, the news company, the news media that had sort of made that connection there. But it's quite a tenuous, but it's quite nice anyway. It still has that sort of father-daughter interactive um, element, which I do quite like. If we take uh, our mind back to, to last week, you know, we're talking about humour and storytelling, you know, to be used in brands. And I think that's really a very good example. Talking of um, humour, um, have you ever had those Little Moons mushy um, ice cream snacks? Have you had them before? No, I've never even heard of them before. <laughs> it's it's a strange one. It's um, I'm going to do a, a very bad job of describing it, but think of it as a, a scotch egg where the egg bit is um, some kind of ice cream and around it is almost like a rice-based um, paste. And you eat them cold, but when you bite into it, you've got the surprise of the ice cream and the kind of very sweet flavor in, in the middle. And um, yeah, they, they, they do very well, particularly with the younger audience. So, I mean, again, it, it's it's innovative. I like the, the hands popping out of holes. Might mm -hmm. scare a few people if they weren't expecting it, but it's a really innovative idea. Unlike Snapchat calling their subscription service, or at least their trialed subscription service, Snapchat Plus. I hope, I hope they didn't pay an agency to come up with that name. What? I mean... Well, are you saying that other brands have done it before? Well, I mean, <laughs> again, I know we said this on the show so many times, but a lot of these social networks, they all seem to be converging on just becoming the same thing. I did read today, so it's, a, it's maybe a news item for later on in another episode, that Twitter are now looking at having a notes feature where you can actually publish lengthy articles like you can on LinkedIn. I'm thinking, for goodness sake, no, stick to what you do. You've got that unique ability to do short form content. And here you are wanting to be the same as everybody else by giving long form content a chance. But maybe we'll, we'll uh, come back to that one when it actually does hit mm. the newsstands. Well, good, some good stuff in there as always, Pascal. I'm still giggling about Papa and Nicole. In fact, I might go onto YouTube and have a, have a watch of some of those original adverts from the 1990s. Shall we move on now and focus our attention in a bit more detail on some individual content? Let's go to the content spotlights. And in this part of the show, Pascal and I shine the spotlight on a piece of content. It could be an article, could be a video or a podcast. So Pascal, tell me, what have you got this week? Oh, this week's an article again in terms of the content format, one that I received via email to begin with from the Content Marketing Institute. The author is Eric Rose, his second appearance on the Content Spotlight, but very, very much deservingly so. And the title is why you should press pause on your content strategy. And what was interesting, Roger, in terms of my little kind of cons consumer journey of that content, the, the email had uh, like a summary and then there was a link to go to the full version. And I was intrigued enough about both the time, but also the timing. I've been talking a lot to my customers, Roger, and you know how I've had this conversation in and around what is going to happen this summer. 
after two years, you know, 2020, 2021, where all of us have pretty much worked across the summer because we had nowhere to go, because we wanted to bring value to our customers, because also we knew um, silence wasn't a good thing with regard to, you know, uh, mental uh, wellness and, and that kind of things. And what is interesting is um, I sense that this year people will take time out. They will go on holiday. And my recommendation has been to my customer to maybe slow down a bit on the content creation, maybe look at it again, refocus and recharge to be ready for, for September. And what is interesting about um, Eric Rose and this article, where you should press pause on your content strategy, is also bringing into, into this the, 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 the dimension of many years, many months of negative news. Mm. And it's hard to escape from that. And therefore, the temptation or the very natural conclusion would be that you know, many decisions we take in business are kind of informed or kind of biased by the bad news and what they call the fear of loss, as opposed to the perceived gains. And what he's saying, if you're not careful, and if you, you know, essentially guide your attention and decision-making around what could go wrong, you can sometimes overlook progress that you've made because mm -hmm. you're always thinking about what has not happened. Mm -hmm. You can sometimes even fail to see what's working despite you know, the circumstances we find ourselves in or quite simply missing the point that sometimes something is failing because of those very conditions and this is only a temporary issue, so do not change your, your strategy. So I would recommend people you know, really follow the link on, on the show notes and read the full article. But his recommendation around creating a moment where posing for greater focus on your successes, and as a result of which you can um, it, improve your strategy moving forward. And he's saying the summer is probably a good time to do so. So what he does, and he shared that technique with all of us, is he creates the moment of focus. He poses and he asks himself five simple questions. And he, do, he does say that you've got to take time to write really polished answers, not just a few bullet points and move on quickly to rushing around again. So question number one, what are the three to five most significant areas of progress in the last month, quarter, or whatever is right time frame for you? So question number one, take your time, you know, if you're listening to, to write it down, or you can go back to this section of the show and do it again as an exercise. Question number two, what are the biggest rocks in my way? Where am I stuck? And please be specific. So you can kind of you know, imagine writing this for yourself as well. Question number three, what are the top three actions I can get to take to become unstuck? So what can I do that could really help me be unstuck? But also acknowledging that sometimes there is nothing you can do, particularly if it's a temporary obstacle. Question number four, what are the best case and the worst case scenarios and results for each of those actions? And number five, what is my biggest learning from the last month or the last quarter or whichever period is right for you? And it was saying that could be done solo. By extension, I mean, imagine that could also be a good team exercise or a good consultancy exercise, but you know, posing for greater focus, but focusing on achievements and what are sometimes called, as you know, or just small victories is very, very important. And then the article carries on talking about how you can use that to do a more of a content marketing strategy um, shake-up and checkpoint for 2022. I will leave you with a final question he's asking. And Eric Rose, thank you very much for what I'm going to call the tough love. 
question for all our viewers and listeners, for you and I, Roger. Are you building a library of content or a pile of content? <laughs> oh, I know, I know. So here it is, you know, why, you know, you should press pause on your content strategy. Thank you very much, Eric. Yeah, very interesting. I mean, we've said before on the show, haven't we, that sometimes we automatically get into content creation mode. We put up a, we put a piece of content out there and then we immediately go into content creation mode for the next piece. When in fact we should A, market the hell out of the content that we put out there before we put the next piece out, but also we should be continually reviewing what we're doing. Now, in reality, I think it's very good what Eric's saying, that it's a good time to pause now and consider what's been happening because of the two years of such uncertainty and two summers where we couldn't really go anywhere. Yes, ideal time to focus, but really those questions that he's asked, the five plus the one question, we should probably be doing that on a quarterly or at least half yearly basis anyway pandemic or not mm, no absolutely so thank you very much for your reaction roger mm. i must confess i glanced at the show notes earlier today and your title is very intriguing to me so over to you this is really really different pascal but i just couldn't resist talking about this because it utterly blew me away so this could actually be a news item i have linked to an article about it in the show notes so that people have got something that they can find out a little bit more and expand upon it but i'm going to talk about a piece of content which was a a chart single that was released by an artist called Kate Bush way back in 1985, 37 years ago, Pascal. Kate Bush released a single called Running Up That Hill. Have you ever heard it? Oh, I absolutely adore that. Absolutely single, adore yeah. it. Absolutely. Now, it didn't get to number one. I think it got to number three on its originally re release back in uh, back in 1985. But I'll tell you what's happened. The recent fourth series of Stranger Things, which is on Netflix. Now, <clears throat> people listening to the show probably have already binged out on Stranger Things series one to three and the first half of series four already on Netflix. Very popular series, a little bit like the Stephen King film Stand By Me. It's that got that sort of vibe about it, an 80s vibe. And they played this song, Running Up That Hill, in that first episode of the fourth season of Stranger Things. And it's a bit like, you know, how sometimes these youngsters do a reaction video on YouTube to an old chart hit from 40 years ago. And all of a sudden, that chart hit just goes mad again. Well, this has happened to Kate Bush's single. Running Up That Hill is number one in the UK singles chart because of the, the spotlight that Stranger Things has brought to the single. So isn't it astonishing that a single that was first released in 1985 and got to number three in the UK charts is now, 37 years later, at number one? To me, that just highlights how every piece of content that we put together, whether it's a piece of music, whether it's a video, whether it's an article, you never know when something might happen, whether it's a happy accident, like getting a mention on a TV show or something, which all of a sudden will propel that piece of content into the stratosphere. And that's what's happened here. But do you know what I love most about this is that it has also 
allowed Kate Bush to break three world records <laughs> as a result of this. So uh, this is what I love. This is this is if you you'll get this in a pub quiz or something over the next twelve months. I guarantee it. So she's now got the longest time between the release of a single and it getting to number one 37 years beautiful okay. prior to that it was um wham and last christmas apparently that took 36 okay. years to get get to number one which i was very surprised about when i read it but this is even better kate bush's other number one was called Wuthering Heights. You know, Heathcliff, it's me, Kathy, come on, all that sort of stuff. That was released in 1978. That was at number one in 1978. So she has now the, got the biggest distance between two consecutive number ones. So she was number one in 1978, number one in 2022, 44 years. Isn't that just incredible? 44 years between number one singles. And she's just beaten Tom Jones because he had a 42-year gap between the green, green grass of home and islands in the stream. I just love this sort of <laughs> trivia. And the third thing, and the third thing, and I was surprised about this as well, is that she's now the oldest lady to top the charts in the UK. Okay, right. Nearly 64 years old. So she's 63 years and 11 months. And she actually nudges Cher out of the way, who was 52 when she got to number one with Believe back in 1998. So a little bit of a sort of lighter hearted content spotlight. But when I read this, I just thought I have to talk about this because it's joyous. A TV program resurrects a 40-year-old song and propels it to number one in the UK singles charts and allows that artist not only to probably make an absolute fortune out of the royalties <laughs> finally, but also allows her to break three world records at the same time. I just think that's absolutely glorious. No, thank you very much. And and you know what was interesting is you know 2022. It's also the power of distribution. You know mm. those reaction videos. I mean, you can just imagine all generation from you know essentially our generation to the much younger one. No matter the channel, whether it's Messenger, whether it's WhatsApp, whether it's TikTok, whether it's Snapchat, it was just that complete deluge of of reactions and and then creating discussions because parents would be talking to their children about the first time they heard the song and what it meant to them and so on. And I think that's what they've done superbly with Transfer Things is exactly that, which is you and I can reminisce and watch the series from a very, very different perspective. And the fact that I know that in season four, the villain is Vecna. Mm. The you know biggest kind of villain you can think from the world of DND, I thought was absolutely genius. So this you've got all those demographics are going to be reacting to it, and of course, um, you know, eighty five would have been the era of pirate radios as well. So yes, you've got all yeah. that going on at the same time. Uh, I, I think it's a perfect for, a selection for content spotlight, personally. Oh, thank you, Pascal. And there is a danger that we may lapse into a conversation about Stranger Things, which would um, subsume. Film marketing. So we'll leave that for another day. I think it's time to move on and let's talk about some marketing tech and apps. Okay, Pascal, tell me what marvels from the world of technology have you got for us this week? Well, actually, in the spirit of posing 
to reflect and to have a better strategy. I thought maybe we should get into a better habit of getting the news from where it matters the most and, and from the sources, particularly around social media, around what's happening, you know, with the new features and so on and so forth. So uh, it so happens that both for LinkedIn as well as Twitter, I've been working very, very hard to at least give people access to reliable information and one that can help them act on it. So LinkedIn, to begin with, have launched a myth-busting series, combination of written form and video form content, helping our members better understand LinkedIn is the subtitle. It's kind of headed by Sabri Tozin, who is the VP of Engineering at LinkedIn. Interestingly, um, Sabri worked previously at Netflix, IGN, and Fox Interactive Media. We make a perfect guest for Two Geeks and a Marketing podcast. And just to give you um, a bit of... um, flavor what they've been working on behind the scenes on LinkedIn. So they have a video and an article called What Kind of Conversations Are Welcomed on LinkedIn? They have a second one called What Does It Mean to Be Professional When It Comes to Content on LinkedIn? And they are promising next installment would be how the algorithm works and personalizing the feed and content distribution and how we work to address bias. So this is the LinkedIn team who is taking the initiative to essentially answer direct questions with some very, very clear answers. And and I think it it should be a a good thing to add that in addition to the other sources of information you might have for your business. Twitter has launched a website called Twitter Create. It's meant to be the go-to hub for all Twitter products and resources. And it's all about the art and science of audience engagement and monetization. So Twitter Create, there's a hyperlink on the show notes, will show you or remind you how to use Twitter Spaces, Twitter Communities, Twitter Blue, Twitter Moments, Twitter Super Follows, Amplify Pre-Rolls, Sponsorship, Twitter Media Studio, TwitDeck, Twitter Analytics, and Embedded Tweets. And what I'm trying to say, Roger, is that sometime when we get busy doing what we do, we sometimes forget about either the basics or we need to brush up on our current practices because maybe things have moved on. Maybe there's been some improvements, some new features have been introduced, but we're just not aware of it because to the point of this show, there's only so much that one can take in. So yeah, I wanted to kind of align to the fact that yes, you can have your favorite kind of celebrities in the world of marketing and Roger and I could be those of course, but there's nothing like hearing it from the horse's mouth. No, it's always good when these platforms give you this sort of help and support. And, you know, even just when you read out all the features of Twitter there, and, you know, I mentioned that they're about to trial a sort of notes-taking feature. I've had the tab at the bottom of my screen on Twitter for this communities thing now for about six weeks. And I keep clicking on it and thinking, oh, I wonder what all this is about. But of course, I haven't got any communities that I've either signed up to or I've I've set up myself yet. And maybe it's a sort of list. I don't know. So there, there's something on Twitter, which is probably still my favorite social media platform. And mm. it's something I don't know about. So I definitely think I need to dive into Twitter Create to find out a little bit more about it. Now, this week, Pascal, I was... I was talking to a customer and we were talking about goals and you know me, 
I like to make sure that people set goals for their marketing strategy because if you don't have goals, you've got nothing to measure yourself against and it's likely that you'll either think you've failed or you actually have failed because you haven't got that benchmark in place. But I've never been a fan of smart objectives because I think that they, they're just a bit too artificial and, and it's something I talk about in the Cats, Mats and Marketing Plans books is how to, you can come up with exciting goals as an alternative. But it this conversation with the customer prompted us to have a look at some of the latest apps that you can use for recording goals and it, it just just sort of um, productivity in general and and the two that came up um, in conversation were was one called Rike which is spelt W-R-I-K-E uh, which actually is a very flexible and and actually looks quite pretty uh, productivity app where you can set tasks you've got to-do lists you can set goals etc and playing around with this it looks very intuitive and I, I th I've talked about productivity apps before, and I always get attracted to the ones that have a nice graphical interface. And this one really does look nice. The second one I was uh, that, that we talked about was called Habitica, Habitica, Habit with ICA added at the end of it. And I guess there's this age-old thing: is that if if you want something to become a habit, you've got to do it a certain number of times. So getting into the habit of writing something every morning, if you do it a certain number of times, it will become a habit. And they've effectively st structured their um, goal setting and and uh, task orientated website around habits which i thought was quite an interesting way of looking at it in reality it is it's just another productivity tool but i quite like the focus on on the habits there but i did look at these two and as nice as they look and as graphically beautiful as they are and as interesting as the habits link is i just don't think these sort of productivity tools are for me pascal you know i I, I know I've, I've never written down to-do lists, even on paper, and I've played around with a few productivity apps on my iPhone, and maybe I've used them a little bit, but I always lapse and start and go elsewhere. Gantt charts always used to fill me with horror when I was in <laughs> big corporate. So I think that for me, I, I, there's just something missing, and for whatever reason, I can't get into the habit of using some sort of productivity tool but everybody's different so i hope mm -hmm. that those who do like this sort of thing will check out reich and habitica thank you very much and i want to address our viewers and listeners this is your challenge as they see where i come from can you find a productivity app for roger edwards <laughs> or recommend one what is your favorite you can leave it in the comments and on the social but but also leave a voice message on speakpipe.com forward slash two gigs and a marketing podcast. I think this is something that we need to resolve for you because I'm a big fan. I've got a, a, a handful I've been mentioned on the show before. And actually, for me, there was when I stop using them, that's when I start to make mistakes or I start to, you know, make a few a few blunders. So yeah. interesting. Challenge accepted, people. Um, is that what I'm hearing? Let me know. Let me know. I wait to be impressed. Okay, Pascal, I think it's time for us to set the controls of the TARDIS to fire up the flux capacitor. Head back in time for this week in history. And in 1975, the film Jaws, my favorite of all time, based on the book by Peter Benchley, directed by Steven Spielberg and starring Roy Scheider, Richard Dreyfuss, and Robert Shaw, opens in North America across 464 screens. 
1986, millionaire Richard Branson zipped across the Atlantic aboard the Virgin Challenger in three days, eight hours and 31 minutes, breaking the world record by a few hours. And in 1995, the Space Shuttle Atlantis docked with the Russian space station Mir for a mission which lasted until the 4th of July 1995. For these five days, the space vehicles formed the largest man-made satellite ever to orbit the Earth. And in 2007, Apple's highly anticipated iPhone goes on sale at the price of $499 for the 4GB version and $599 for the 8GB version. The iPhone quickly became an overnight phenomenon with 1 million iPhones sold in only 74 days. Now, Pascal, thinking back to Richard Branson zipping across the Atlantic... <laughs> The Virgin Challenger, what was it? I can't remember. Was it a, a balloon? No, no, it was, a, it was literally a speedboat. Ah. Um, and my memory, I can't just say, well, this is about your Brits breaking records all the time anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, it was literally, and it wasn't particularly big for memory. And I'm told that I think it was him. I think it was maybe a, a very small crew. And they did not sleep for the, the, the duration of the crossing because literally it was, to the millimeter, that it had to be a perfect crossing to be able to go as fast as possible, but also to to beat the world record. Yeah, now I just I just had it in my head that it was some sort of balloon or or light dirigible or something like that. But yeah, the memory is coming back to me now, and 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 it did actually look quite scary. Maybe there was a documentary about it with footage actually on the boat, but I do remember it being, you know, quite scary. Uh, but Richard Branson's always been into things like this, hasn't he? Yeah, I mean, if I'm, I'm trying to remember, he must have covered every form of transportation and, and travel. The air balloon has been in, in space, as we know. Um, he's definitely done the the boat. He's done the train. Um, he's not been involved in cars. I'm probably the only one that he's not covered somehow. Yeah, uh, absolutely incredible. And and the space one is the most recent, of course. So, thinking back to Apple's launch of the iPhone. And I can't actually believe that it's literally 2007 that the iPhone first came out, the first iPhone. And look where we are now with the iPhone um, 13 in 2022. But of course, the memory I have most about the i I didn't buy an iPhone until the, until the iPhone 3. But I definitely remember Jobs' speech when he stood up and said, we're launching three products today. We're launching a phone, we're launching a web browser, and we're launching a camera. And, of course, the big reveal was that they were all the same product. And, of course, the world just went absolutely mega, <laughs> mega crazy at that revelation. But it, but it was a fabulous keynote. And, of course, it was a revolutionary product. People still go back to those presentations and, and speeches because it wasn't just, yeah, you can study the, the structure and so on. It was able to really invite people to use a theater of the mind. Mm. And and it was he had that real power to evoke, you know, feelings, sensations, and anticipation. Because by the I think it was the better part of six months, people had to wait from the announcement to, to, to the release. Um, I remember vividly seeing the news of people queuing up in America and other places, you know, some of um, I think it was maybe for future iteration, people were literally 
basically spending the night in sleeping bags to get yeah. the first in a few few iPhones. And I can't think that there's I can't think of another brand, you know, with regard to mobile phones that has this element of it's almost like waiting for a rock star to start their concert and you sleep outside <laughs> for three days, isn't it? Absolutely right. I mean, you might be doing that over the weekend for the Rolling Stones, of course. Uh, if Pascal's going to see the Rolling Stones this weekend, everybody, just so that you understand that little aside there. But uh, yeah, no, in, in, incredible. I, I just love that con that that contrast between this, the keynote speech which created that mad anticipation that actually caused people to camp out to buy a product that they'd actually never seen before because it was so revolutionary and let's face it even though we're surrounded by gadgetry these days it's very un it's very unusual for us to see something utterly and utterly new which is what this was at the time and we say this every week pascal but i'm going to say it again we Oh, a massive debt of gratitude to these pioneers and innovators from the past who have shaped the world that we live in and work in today. But it's time to bring ourselves right up to date now. And I think it's time for Creator Shoutouts. So, Pascal, who are you giving a shout out to this week? Oh, listen, it's an absolute delight to give Nicole Osborne yet another shout-out, but it's, again, very well-deserved. The uh, founder of Wunderstars, marketing coach and digital agency specialist. She's released a new series of videos on YouTube, which is all about getting more results from LinkedIn. So I, I want to link it back to, obviously, my selection from marketing tech and apps. And I love this idea of being very niche in your subject matter, but also always finding ways to make a subject that you could argue, you know, people know about, or they could even suggest that they master the, the, the LinkedIn marketing. And she's always, Nicole's always able to find little hooks, little tactics that can make a big difference. So just to whet your appetite, everybody, the, the recent videos, forgive me, three titles, LinkedIn post ideas for 2022 for more leads and engagement. That's number one. Number two, how to comment on LinkedIn to get more reach and leads for your agency. And very recently, LinkedIn, a new update 2022 you should use right now. So Nicole, once again, you know, thank you for taking the time to research, to you know, write the script, to set up the studio, to record, to edit, to publish on YouTube for all of us to really um, enjoy and retain the information the way you know how to do. So, Nicole, what I'm going to say to you is wunderbar. <laughs> and of course, I've missed bumping into Nicole at events like uh, Upreneur and uh, Atomicon over the last couple of years. Hopefully, we'll get back out there and meet some of these people that we've only been able to Zoom with over the last two and a half years my shout out this week is also a returning shout out for two geeks in the marketing podcast i'm going to give a shout out to claire yosa again now claire as you know wrote a book uh, about ditching imposter syndrome now imposter syndrome is something that does affect quite a lot of us you know i, I the first chapter of my book uh, Cats, Mats and Marketing Plans talks about an episode of imposter syndrome I got when I was flying on a plane to Montenegro to, to give a speech. And I think it can hit a lot of us right at the wrong time. And it's when you doubt yourself, doubt you, the ability you've got, doubt the knowledge you've got, and almost you, you, you make yourself feel like an imposter that you maybe don't deserve, you know, the, the reputation uh, that you have. Uh, and Claire's book um, is an absolute must read. And that was the shout out I gave Claire oh, well over a year ago on Two Gits the Marketing Podcast. But I spotted today 
interestingly enough just that because you've just given a, a shout out to nicole for a video this is also a video that claire's just put together and i got the double whammy of spotting this because the title of the uh, video is the four p's of imposter syndrome and of course i'm a marketing geek and <laughs> we all know about the four p's of marketing price product place and promotion so i just love the fact that she's come up with the four p's of imposter syndrome now i'm not going to go into what the p's are because i would encourage you to watch this video but claire's got a great manner about the way she talks and it's a really engrossing video and it will help you if like me and like a lot of other people at some point in your working life or maybe even currently in your working life you do get that nagging doubt creeping through your mind at some stage so have a look claire yosa the four p's of imposter syndrome and the link is in the show notes Delightful to include two good friends, isn't it, in the, uh, in the, in the creator shout-outs? Absolutely. That's what the creator shout-outs part of the show is all about. Okay, Pascal, we've got to the point of the show when we can get really excited. I mean, we've been excited right the way through, but really excited. It's time for film marketing. It's film marketing, and this week we're going to be talking about Prometheus. And I've always seen this as a prequel to Alien, but Pascal gave me some funny looks earlier when I said that. So we're going to interrogate that funny look a little bit. But first of all, I think we should watch the trailer. A king has his reign. separated by centuries and yet this same pictogram was discovered in every one of them you're smiling i think they want us to come and find them we're all here because of a map you two kids found in a cave not a map an invitation from whom please tell me you can read that prometheus are you seeing this? Whatever that probe is picking up, it's reading life form. What do you mean a life form? Oh, the head. They're changing. Changing into what? It's moving. These things moving. What is that? There's a ship. They're leaving. Go where? Earth. We were so wrong. Take us home! If you don't stop me, they won't bring you home to go back to. Where's the door open? Got it out! Got it Small beginnings. 
So, Pascal, is this not a prequel to Alien, then? Well, officially, um, Ridley Scott denied it being a prequel, not even a sequel. It said, however, which actually you could argue was even like a spoiler, mm. it said it has strands of DNA from the Alien universe. And then when you realize that phrase after watching the film, you go, as in like the engineer's DNA, you know. So I thought it was very, very clever. No, I, I believe his attempt was to start a new storyline. Yeah, because, I mean, we've still got all that design by Escher, haven't we, which is just so remarkable and gorgeous and beautiful. Uh, and that is in there. The, the sort of derelict spaceship from Alien is in this film as well. So, you know, but the good thing about it is you don't have to have seen Alien at all. To As you say, they've created a completely different um, a different experience here. And, and, and as you've said, this is what sci-fi movies are meant to be about, isn't it? Being transferred transported to a completely different world because of that incredible design different vehicles you know i got vibes of thunderbirds watching those vehicles come out you know the sort of mm. bigger truck and the, and the smaller sort of um, go-kart type things monsters sound effects and the amazing music oh. um it's i mean it's a fa it's a really good film exciting edge of the seat stuff and and quite a lot of jeopardy but what i did find when i was re-watching it Pascal, which I probably didn't think about the first time, is the characters in the film do a lot of very stupid things <laughs> for, for a supposedly elite series of scientists. You know, they bring they they bring severed heads in without quarantine. They they put poke things into holes that they shouldn't poke and they they just generally set themselves up for the fall that they end that end up killing most of them that's the rule of horror films people separate <laughs> and they go down the basement you know you have to you have to do that so so listen i remember what was lovely about um talking about prometheus and particularly literally i've realized we're celebrating 10 years 2012 i remember exactly what it was like to sit in that IMAX, we watched it in 3D with my wife, Denise, and be transported into a proper sci-fi universe, you know, mm. a mixture of fantasy and science and art and psychology and everything else. And you're right, if you've been a fan, as long as we have, of the Alien universe, I mean, we actually, actually did the marketing review of uh, Alien, the 1979 masterpiece in uh, the episode number 73, so you, you could get little rewards for being, you know, like a lifelong fan, but you could also watch this one as your first entry in, into the universe. And I've got to just stop for a moment to once again applaud, you know, the custom designers, the sets, the creature effects, which were really, really quite scary, and that amazing soundtrack. And you could argue that the making of Promises is just as interesting and compelling to recount than the marketing campaigns as well. Yeah, and, and I think another thing that I like about the film, and this applies to the the um, Alien universe as well, is there's a genuine world order behind it isn't there you know they talk about the Wayland company but it's yeah. thought through it's believable you know it could exist it has a logo it has a corporate structure it has a it has a chain of command it feels real so they put a lot of thought into the detail of the backstory of the film which i think always adds to the excitement of a of a, of a, of a script and indeed they were able to use a lot of that in the marketing campaign so listen um 
just reminding ourselves that the movie was released uh, in the UK first, actually, interestingly, on the 1st of June 2012, and then there was a global rollout soon after. Um, critics and moviegoers absolutely adored it. People had you know their views about the ending and is it a prequel is it a sequel is it a, a you know whatever it is and i think people would say it's a, just a bloody good story <laughs> and one that you know it, it, I, I i couldn't wait to own the, the the dvd now we've got a bit of a quandary um roger because the marketing campaign is actually a one-year-long campaign it's quite unusual but it all began with a, a teaser at the San Diego Comic-Con International, where footage and images from the uh, the production were shown in July 20, 2011. Because of that 12-month campaign, there's almost too much to report back within the time frame of this episode. So I'm going to suggest that, if you don't mind, we skip straight into the award-winning element of the campaign, which is essentially the work in creating a real, forgive me, Wayland uh, universe and how moviegoers and fans could get into. And it all started, as is often the case, you know, with this, with this idea of what would it look like if the characters lived for real and what is their backstory? So the award-winning campaign where they created the Wayland universe began in February 2012, where Peter Wayland who is in the movie, you know, as you know, played by Guy Pearce, um, is doing a TED Talk. <laughs> and that's being videoed and shared around the world. I mean, that's just crazy detail, isn't it? It's it's like it's like an Easter egg to end all Easter eggs. Um, and obviously, if you watch the film, you'll know that uh, Guy Pearce's character in the movie is about 100 years old, maybe even older. He's very, very old and coming to the end of his life, which is part of the plot. But this TED Talk is is actually Guy Pearce as a 45, 50-year-old man. And, and and again, the detail that they've gone to just to just to kick off this campaign by creating a TED Talk for an imaginary person is is just beautiful. I love it. And it really kind of set the tone. So the video element of the award-winning campaign, um, um, the TED Talk is set in 2023, which is quite mm -hmm. interesting, mm -hmm. a year away from today. And we see essentially, uh, you're right, a young Peter Wayland, um, essentially a very rich person who is into uh, space exploration, who's into health, into uh, engineering and biotech. Uh, I'm sure this is pure fiction. There is nobody like this in the world, Roger, that we can think of. <laughs> no. And... When this video was uh, was shown and played so many times, I mentioned a moment ago that the um, there was a lot of time spent with the fans. So the, the the crew and the cast went to WonderCon 2012, and those who could attend were given Wayland Corporation business cards. Yeah, and sucking people into. <laughs> I mean, it's, isn't it interesting how we're having all these conversations today about the metaverse and all of this sort of thing? But they created an entire imaginary world to surround the marketing of this film. Okay, it isn't a, a metaverse in the way that we're talking about it now by putting goggles on and being an imaginary. But it, it was almost like that, wasn't it? They were asking you to go into a make-believe world. Indeed. So the business cards had the call to action to literally ring a number and go onto a website, and people would be receiving a text message with a link to a second video. And the video was an advert 
for a product called David 8, the android that we see in the movie. Played by Michael Fassbender, of course, and a very creepy portrayal. All of these mm. alien oblique, this sort of universe films, always feature one of the robots, the androids, don't they? And they're always a bit creepy. Mm. So with video being, you know, helping grow draw people into the universe well in the universe a third one was released and it was interesting so this third video with numi rapazzi was actually a video message being intercepted by a competitor at the time of Whalen, which was Yutani. Um, <laughs> if you know a bit more about the, the alien kind of uh, anthology, they then merge and they become friends. But so essentially, we have the character uh, of Shaw, played by Nui Rapazzi, who is asking Whalen for pretty much his sponsorship in trying to seek out the answer to some of the maps they found and, of course, to seek out alien life. When you watch the video, you'll be taken at the time. And that's so, so sad. You know, none of those websites we're mentioning, Roger, and none of that online um, kind of activity exists to this day. The fan were taken to a, a web page where they can actually play a, a game, an online game, where you could support the work of Dr. Shaw and find more things to do with uh, Project Genesis and, of course, Project Prometheus. Wonder whether Project Genesis was a little nod towards Star Trek Wrath of Khan as well, because wasn't that called Project De Genesis as well? Mm. Mm, but then, and, and there was even a poster advert taken out in the Wall Street Journal for <laughs> David Eight, wasn't there? As if it was a, you know, again, as if it was a proper product. This android. Yeah, so the three videos created, you know, the beginning of the the entry into the universe, the Whalen Corporation. They took a real advert, as in printed advert in the Wall Street Journal. The advert promoted a Twitter account, sadly no longer with us, where David Eight would be answering your questions about essentially it or him, depending how you look at it, and of course what the Android could do for you. I just wonder whether, I mean, it's it's a great thing that they did here. They created so much amazing content and, and these websites and a lot of, and the Twitter account have gone. I just wonder whether they, they that decision was taken in a world where maybe they just didn't think websites and, and social media had that much longevity. I mean, if they were doing it today, I would, I would imagine they keep the content out there. You would, yeah, because you could have the hub. I mean, thankfully, we have access to the way, way back machine. Mm. You know, the, people will know internet history. So I was able to find some screenshots and, and the channels have shared some links with you. So the other thing that they did, which I thought was interesting, they shared some kind of codes or some kind of you know, strange um, kind of numbers and letters. People could decipher what they were and were taken to images of David expressing different emotions. Mm -hmm. If you bring all the codes together, you'd be taken to the David 8 official web page, where literally, like a product, you have the, the details, you have the features, you've got ways in which you know you can express interest and so on, which I thought was interesting. And in the spirit of expressing interest from videos to using David 8 as a product, the third kind of tactic was to recruit people to join <laughs> Wayland Industries. Yeah, recruitment adverts and even interviews with imaginary people who joined Wayland. You know, how Wayland recruited me for Prometheus and why they chose LinkedIn. 
<laughs> so you know that that's you know, so Wayland's <laughs> official website was updated. People could invest, I suspect, no real money, just invest time. And there was even a thing that I thought was interesting. So for those of you who've seen the, the movie, there is the the star map. You know, there's a way in which they can find obviously LV two two three. I think for if memory yes, serves. Yes. Yes. And keener-eyed website um, kind of visitors discovered that in the about us section there was little um, blinking star. Mm. Which is actually was Morse code. Fans got together, deciphered <laughs> the, the Morse code, and were taken to a secret page where you can have your own copy of the star map, mm. with, which was uh, found when they discovered the um, the kind of the cockpit of the ship of the engineers. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. That's a little sort of again hidden Easter egg, or it's almost like being in an escape room, isn't it? Having to defi- decipher <laughs> the clues to unlock the uh, unlock the secret door. This this is so immersive and so very very clever, but absolutely in keeping with the style of the film, of course. And we must remember, to your point about being immersive and clever, people say, yeah, yeah, of course, but that's what they do all the time. This was 2012. Let me mm-hmm. remind you, this is merely six years after Twitter was first launched. This is 10 years after LinkedIn. This is roughly, I think, eight years after Facebook. This is like you know pretty clever stuff for the time. The one thing that I thought was really interesting about the marketing is they had no hesitation to partner up with brands, you know. So the Microsoft was one of the brands they partnered with. Microsoft at the time were launching the new Internet Explorer 9, mm-hmm. but also were doing some interesting thing with HTML5 for Windows, which again is now taken for granted. So you could try and join the crew of Project Promiscuous, but to do so, you have to prove your worth, Roger, yes. by solving puzzles, by watching clips and doing some kind of, um, I suppose, online training and, and so on and so forth. So all this led to the point where if you passed the test from the online training center, you could then go to onto Facebook. There was an app that would allow you to create a kind of Wayland ID card that you could then use, I suppose, for when you go to the movie for some extras. But literally, people were doing it in the hundreds because they wanted to be part of that universe. Yeah, again, a so immersive and interactive and and ingenious, really. This is this is a real standout stuff, isn't it? I mean, we've reviewed a lot of incredible movies over the eighty-one episodes of Two Geeks, and we've reviewed some amazing marketing campaigns. But this one, it's it, it, the gamification of it, the, the the way that it sucks you in, the way that they've created that imaginary world. It, it really is one of the top ones we've looked at. Oh, completely. And it goes on even till the point of when you go and see the movie, which I kind of spotted, but that's proof that I'm just moving more than anything else. Because I don't know about you, but when I go and see a film such as this one, in fact, not all films, Roger, I stayed till the very end. Mm. And I'm literally been asked to leave by the staff working there. <laughs> but if you'd taken the trouble to watch the film to the very end at the cinema, the IMAX, the 3Ds and 2Ds, at the very, very, very end, there was a Wayland Corporation logo and there was a website address, which was the, with the URL whatis101112.com. Mm-hmm. People went, of course, and they discovered more content, more revelation about uh, Peter Wayland and, and all the others. And to me, that kind of interesting that they didn't stop at 
let's get people to go to the cinema and then we're just going to back off. The marketing carried on even to the point of watching the movie till the end. Again, I mean, how many people out of an audience of, say, 200 in a theatre are actually going to do what you did and stay till the end until you're asked to leave (laughs) by the cleaners? I mean, it's a small percentage, isn't it? One or two people maybe out of 200. But the fact that they invested more money into creating a website just for those people who stayed till the end. Obviously that, that URL would have passed around the world on social media eventually, but initially they focus their attention on a small number of people who would be waiting till the end. That is, that is a really dedicated um, bit of targeting. For me, it shows commitment to the experience you want to create from a marketing point of view. I want to give three, four reference to a UK first, I could argue, as well as a French kind of PR stunt. So in terms of UK first, when the trailer was revealed uh, on TV uh, with Channel 4, they organized for the first time ever, it had never been done before, this thing where you would watch the trailer first and you will have a call to action at the end to tweet your reaction using the hashtag, are you seeing this? <laughs> the trailer would play again, literally uh, a few minutes, you know, so the trailer played t- twice, forgive me, Roger, at the start of maybe the, the sequence of adverts, you know, whatever they were selling. So they played it once and last again. And when the trailer was played again last, all the tweets were being displayed. So you could recognize your username on Twitter and the hashtag, and and of course your friends would go absolutely crazy. The one that I am very, very jealous, another UK first, was partnering up with um, Secret Cinema. So in the summer of 2012, at the same time as normal screening, Secret Cinema turned a warehouse into a pretty much a spaceship. Um, with props to the movies and so on. They had actors dressed like, you know, the crew from Prometheus and so on. If you'd have been lucky enough to have a ticket, you were encouraged to dress like a scientist. Maybe you were indeed, you had your ID card from Wayland <laughs> from playing the game. And the, the start of the movie was prefaced with a recorded welcome message by Ridley Scott. And I'm very, very jealous indeed. Very quickly, in France, um, very much like in London, actually, there are some uh, underground uh, stations that are no longer used. Instead, they become like um, uh, you know areas used for displaying art. And in France, the Saint-Martin uh, train station was turned into essentially uh, props from the film. You had the engineers, you had you know all the pods and so on. And literally, the train would be zooming past, and you know you'd be engulfed in this kind of uh, blue light. People would be taking pictures, videos to share on social media, creating more PR for for Prometheus. And so it goes on. That is so cool. I hadn't realized that they did that with a, a disused uh, metro station in Paris, but mm. how cool is that? I would have been blown away by that, just as you were. And I know we said that we wouldn't look at any of the other parts of the marketing, but just to bring it to a conclusion, I just did want to circle back to talk about that teaser post that you mentioned yeah. that originally came out in 2011. I just love the tagline. The search for our beginning could lead to our end. Isn't that just beautiful? Simplicity, but poetic and sums up the film in one little sentence. I think that is one of the best taglines, one of the cleverest taglines that I've seen for many a film. Absolutely. Do you know, we've done the review of 79 films now. 
uh, Y79, and this is episode 81 because we reviewed No Time to Die twice, <laughs> and we had a special on Disney Plus as well, who launched um, in the UK. And you know, you and I not only love the film, but we also are full of admiration for the marketers and the thinkers and the creative minds behind it. But up to now, it's not been possible to thank people directly because a so much information just disappears you know, websites, social media accounts, and so on. And sometimes we just don't know who is behind it. Not this time. Happily, a reporter from Forbes.com interviewed the agency behind all the things we've described called Ignition Creative. And I thought it would be very, very actually uh, right for, the, for us to wrap up film marketing with a statement from the creative director at the time, Chris Eyerman. This is um, what he said. The first goal of the campaign was to blur the boundaries between content and marketing, fiction and reality, story and game. Bravo, Mr. Chris Eyman and your team. This wow. is just a study. And the award are, you know, obviously coming your way or came your way in 2012 and 13. That was totally justified. It was it was absolutely fantastic. And I agree. They achieved all of those goals. All of those goals achieved because this is one of the most impressive campaigns that we have reviewed on the show. Thank you so much, everybody, for watching and listening to Two Geeks in the Marketing Podcast, episode 81. We've really enjoyed talking about all the topics that we've covered today, especially Prometheus, that fabulous film from 10 years ago. As always, we'd love your feedback. We'd love your suggestions on apps and tech to look at. We'd love your suggestions on films to review. And you can talk to us by leaving a comment on the YouTube channel or Pascal. They can contact us on SpeakPipe. And as always, you're going to tell everybody what the SpeakPipe URL is. Yeah, leave a voice message on speakpipe.com forward slash two gigs and a marketing podcast. So everyone, thanks once again for watching or listening. And until the next episode, please do go out there and make sure that your marketing was done right. I was Roger Edwards and he was Monsieur Pascal Fintoni. Mm -hmm.